0: This is the character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Tea. Powered by Schnucks. Eat good to feel great at Schnooks on 101 ESPN.
2: One year ago today, the Blues won their first ever Stanley Cup, and we're celebrating that today on 101 ESPN. Tonight, our Play Gloria series continues, and we are going to have a special encore edition of Game 7. You'll hear it here on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you, and we're going to hear from Freeze Pops in a moment, because he grew up in the Boston area. He was used to his team's winning championships, mm-hmm. and it just didn't happen. And as we were told in the fast lane, and I think it was Dan Shaughnessy that told us that it was the St. Louis blues that ended that sports dynasty for Boston. Since then, they lose the Super Bowl, Brady leaves, Betts leaves. There's been a lot of bad things that have happened and we're to uh we get credit for it.
3: Hey, we'll take it. Yeah, they've provided us with some truly terrible championship moments, so it's nice to re- return the favor a little bit, right, Randy?
2: Exactly. Now, before we get to Freeze Pops and a couple of your mic drops, from the 636, don't forget Randy celebrated with a blues tattoo. And Michelle and I <laughs> both used to work in the afternoon here on 101 ESPN in the fast lane. Michelle was the producer and was a, a key member of the... Well, she, she was a teammate uh, uh, on the show. And one day, I think it was like 2012 or 13 Mm -hmm. decided that uh, and kind of used uh, unfair force to kind of cajole me into saying that if the Blues ever won a Stanley Cup, that I would get a tattoo.
3: If memory serves me correctly, Randy, this was after another heartbreaking season where the Blues didn't get it done. And I believe this is one of those instances where you had listed all of the Blues heartbreak that you had in, had endured throughout your entire life. And the list is long. The list is very long. And we had come to the conclusion they're cursed. The are never is, The seamest curse is never going to happen. And we were so confident, you and I, and the fact that this team was never going to get it done, and we just had to accept that fact and move on with our lives, that I said, you should get a tattoo if they ever win, because we thought the chances were zero. We thought that it was a zero percent chance it would ever get done. So it wasn't that I was using force to get you to get a tattoo. <laughs> Too. i truly thought this was something that you would never have to pay up on ever i, I
2: did too and so last year during the parade what do you Wait. think about 50% of the people that we came across?
3: 72. I mean, yeah. the the other percent of people were just screaming, like, I can't believe this is happening. This is the best day of my life. Any other person that saw you was, when are you getting the tat? When is the tat coming? Oh,
2: we got it on the 24th, and it's still there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so it's on your back shoulder yeah. for anybody that doesn't know. Do you forget that it's there?
2: I do. Yeah, I never think of it. So, uh, But it, when I do see it, it, Dave, Big Dave Canoy at the Ink Spot, unbelievable job great job so I'm thankful to him for uh, for doing it
3: question for you were you at any any percent of you upset that you had to get it done are we still just riding so high on the fact that they got they won the cup
2: I would do it all again love it because the Blues won the cup and uh, uh, hey people that listen to us on the radio were friends. And I promised my friends that mm-hmm. I would take care of them with a tattoo if the Blues won. So that had to happen.
3: And not only that, if someone said to you at the beginning of last season, Randy, if you get a tattoo the Blues are going to win a cup, you would do it without without question. Oh yeah, right. Without question.
2: No One of our favorites last year, and forever really, is Pat Maroon, the St. Louisan who arrived on the scene to help lead the Blues to the Stanley Cup Championship. And here was his reaction after the Blues won a year ago
0: this means so much to our city just the way the fans came together through these playoffs and sit see them outside of the you know the stanley cup watch i mean this is unbelievable 49 years in the making and we freaking did it tonight (laughs) to celebrate my son tonight is going
3: to be truly amazing and i can't wait
2: that's unbelievable that's great so we want to go to the other end of the spectrum
3: Always.
2: All right. Uh, Always. Tommy Springs, Pops Carroll, grew up a Bruins fan in Boston. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was crying like a little girl. Oh, crying like Brad Barshan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the night of mm-hmm. the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup loss by his Bruins.
1: Uh, you really got to throw it there, Randy. Come on. <laughs> I was crying. Yes, I cried. I'm, I'm just going to admit it. I cried. I sat on my couch by myself in my apartment and cried. Uh, I thought about going to Dukes where Boston fans go to watch games. Don't hurt them. They're there. They're peaceful. They just want to be with their people and watch games. Uh, but I decided I needed to be by myself in case the Bruins lost because I knew I wouldn't handle it well. And I didn't. I did not handle it well that night. But that, I cried on the couch by
2: myself. By the time we got to parade day, though, your view had shifted, right?
1: Yeah, I got over it. No, no. <laughs> I, I... You know, it was weird for me, and I've talked about this with Michelle before, because I was a part of, like, I, I, I kind of rode that blues wave with everyone being here in St. Louis. I mean, I sat next to you guys at those games. Yeah, I was excited when the Blues won all those playoff games. But then, you know, they get to the Stanley Cup finals and they're playing my guys. Then I'm like, okay, well, I got to root for my guys. But then the parade day comes, and I'm just happy for all my St. Louis friends. I like to party. I was like, you know what? I'm going to join in on this party. So, and is that okay? Am you, I allowed to do that? You
2: are. You, uh, you know how to party.
3: <laughs> so we accepted him <laughs> into the blues bandwagon. We said, you know what? This is, this is a day for everybody. And the fact that you understand what this means to St. Louis is amazing. But it was so quick, Randy. The shift was so quick. It went from, I love Boston... Brad Marchand, is not, cry- do not talk about him crying. That is rude. That is disrespectful. To freeze pops in a Wayne Gretzky jersey, drinking a Bud Light, screaming, I love the blues. The shift <laughs> was so quick. So it makes me wonder about these Boston fans because even if I had moved to Boston, Randy, there's no part of me that would ever be wearing a Bruins jersey saying, Wow, you guys really deserve this. I am pumped for you.
2: One thing that you see a lot in Boston as you drive around downtown Boston is that on the lower level, you'll see the Dunkin' Donuts, and then there will be a gym right. Above the Dunkin' Donuts, kind of playing for the tie.
3: Totally, but which I respect.
2: Boston people have the agility to jump off one bandwagon and hop right on another in a blink.
3: And I've learned that even further, seeing how they've abandoned the Patriots, and they're all Bucks fans now. Fans. Go Bucks! <laughs> See,
1: go Bucks! I, I'm getting NFL season, uh, whatever it's called, the season ticket, the uh, Sunday ticket package to watch Brady's games this this season. See? It's happening.
3: So, Seventy five
1: bucks a month, I'll pay for it.
3: So, St. Louis and Boston, often called the best sports cities in America, St. Louis would never abandon their teams the way Boston yeah. fans do. No. So.
1: I like to party, guys.
2: I don't know what you <laughs> Let's get to a mic drop from Andrew on 101 ESPN.
4: All right, Randy and Michelle. So I'm the kind of guy that it's really hard to watch playoff games because they get so damn nervous. But I turned it on while I was cooking dinner. We scored the first goal. I go nuts in my apartment. Second goal, I told myself, okay, it's time to go to a bar. So then I go to a bar in Soulard. As soon as we win, we're busting out the champagne glorious plan. It was one of the best nights of my entire life. I'll never forget it.
2: Go Blues. Hey, thanks for participating. And, yeah, it's an unforgettable night for any Blues fan, any sports fan in St. Louis. Keith has also weighed in with a mic drop on 101 ESPN.
5: I was in my house in New Jersey,
1: opened up my $350 bottle of scotch. And as soon as they got the two-goal-nothing lead, I knew we were winning the game. Oh, baby. I get the chills hearing Coach's speech to this day. Let's go win another one. $350
2: $350 bottle of scotch. I respect it. Totally. You have to.
3: But what else what else could you be saving that bottle for?
2: Right, there's only one thing. Yeah, you have to if if the Blues are going to win a Stanley Cup, that has to be where you break it open. There's going to be nothing better than that. I mean, you might have a kid someday, but you're not going to have a kid right after you have, have a baby. Or a, you aren't going to open a bottle of scotch right after you have a baby. It's not going to happen.
3: Really? Because I thought that was kind of standard procedure.
2: They have cigars. $350 bottle of scotch?
3: I thought it was like, wow, I need to calm my nerves. Now, I'm a parent now.
2: Uh, after like upsetting. Yeah, after maybe six months, four months, something like that, two <laughs> weeks, but not the night of.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't know the rules. I don't know the procedures there. But I think if you have an expensive bottle of booze, you save it for the most special moment of your life.
2: Which is the blues winning a Stanley Cup. Without a doubt. One more text, 65780. I was at the watch party at Enterprise with Michelle. I did not drink any alcohol because I wanted to remember every single moment. When that horn blew and the confetti was flying, I was crying like a baby. Remembering that feeling now, my eyes are watering. Hashtag two before I die. <laughs>
3: As I do before I die. See, in uh, our last mic dropper, who said after they scored the second goal, he felt confident that they were going to win. I still didn't feel that. Even even though the Blues took a commanding lead and they were dominating that game, there was still such a part of me that thought, "Don't don't get too excited now because this this has been a tough series and anything can happen."
2: I was always thinking that perfection line would step up and do something. Unfortunately, they never did. One year ago today, the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Joey Vitale is going to reminisce about that. He'll come into the Blues booth next on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman.
0: We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by BoardWalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, real wood provides the best long-term value. BoardWalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardWalkHardwood.com.
2: Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and our friend Joe Vitale joins us in the Blues booth. We know that we're going to have training camp. That's going to start in 28 days on the 10th of July. That's a good thing. But, Joey, first and foremost, great to have you with us. And today is the one-year
4: anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, Randy, uh, Michelle, good morning. You know, I woke up this morning, and I saw that, and, geez, I mean, I know it's cliche, but... Where has the time gone? It just has gone by so fast. And, uh, you know, some great times, but certainly some some little gruesome times, too. It's amazing, you know, when you look back over a year, what's kind of happened, the good, the bad, the ugly. But, uh, yeah, a year ago today, it was uh, it was a day in Boston, just kind of like this, actually. I stepped outside. It's a beautiful morning. It kind of does resemble what the weather was like in Boston on that morning. It just felt like a normal a normal day as the Blues just prep for Game 7. What a what a night that was.
3: Joey, take us into the night before Game 7. You're in Boston. You're you're excited. You're prepping for the game, but what was your mentality then? Were you nervous? Were you confident they could get it done? What were you thinking the night before?
4: Well, the night before Game 7 in Boston was probably the Best night on the road all year for me, and I think for the entire staff. You ask anybody that that last night was was epic. We went down to the North End, which is basically Boston's version of the Hill here in St. Louis. It's the Italian district. It's a one big sh- strip on Hanover Street, full of uh, Italian eateries. There's cannoli shops. There's uh, Italian goods shops, some grocery, and we went to this uh, place of Monica's on uh, right on the North End there, and. It started out with me and some of the media crew and then opened up to some of the PR guys. And eventually Chris Zimmerman's there. Tom Stillman, the owner, joined us. We had a table of about 20 guys at this place. And we just got after it. And we had some of the best food and the best wine. Bernie Erko was passing around lemon shells like you read about. And it was just a, a wonderful evening, uh, a climax of what a year it was, especially for this group of trainers and media and broadcasters alike, producers. So that was, to me uh, kind of a very relaxing night, uh, heading into uh, what would end up becoming game seven. For the preparation for me, Michelle, to answer your question, you know i I got the job in June of the previous summer, and I never forget I met with Joe Buck at the Starbucks over here off of uh, Lindbergh and Highway 40, right in Frontenac there. I get the job. I meet with Joe Buck. I give him a call. Say, hey, Joe, I just got this job. He's like, yeah, I heard about it. I go, you want me for coffee? He said, geez, I would love to pick your brain. And one of the things that Joe said in August, so again, we hadn't, I hadn't started the year yet, but this really came back to me the night before Game 7. He said to me, you may you may find yourself in some big moments, Joe, and calling some big games in the near future. And my best advice for you is, is just – don't prepare too much. Don't ever over-prepare for a big moment in a big game. And he goes, let me give you an example. And Joe Buck called Mark McGuire's 62nd, and he had this whole thing prepared. He was going to say something about Andy Homer's it and right into the books or whatever, something he had p- planned. And when he remembers that home run, as I know you guys had Mark McGuire on this week, that was a terrific interview. And I was there for that game at Bush Stadium. That was a line drive. We all remember that 60-second home run that broke Roger Maris's record. It barely went over the wall. So Joe was kind of tongue-tied on the call, and then he says, you got to go touch first, Mark, and, and his whole call kind of got um, messed up in a way, and he thought it was messed up at, at the time. But then he looked back on it, and it was one of the most genuine, realistic, called as you see a calls, and it's one of the most classics of all time because he just, he just said what he saw. And that's what Joe said to me. He goes, you know, just whatever it is, just just say what you see. And I remember that in the preparation for Game 7. I didn't want to go in there with anything. I just wanted to see it and call it and try to deliver it the best as possible and of course chris kerber he uh knocked it out of the park with his call and and we just uh we had a lot of fun that night
2: what about your emotions growing up a blues fan you'd played for other franchises in the nhl but i'm sure that you were just like pat maroon or just like the other uh people in st louis that have been involved with hockey uh on other levels and with other teams so what was your emotion like
4: you know, my emotions were actually pretty steady, Randy. You know, I I've, I've played in some big games as a player, and it was kind of nice just being the radio broadcaster for this one because uh, I'm thinking about it from a player's perspective, and, and I've been in those moments. I remember just how worked up I was. i never slept uh, anxious the whole time. No one wants to be out there making that mistake if something should go really wrong. So I remember as a broadcaster thinking, like, man, I got one of the best seats in the house all I could do is just watch and just pretty much have a conversation with another guy about what I'm seeing out there. And and that's kind of how I approach it. And it was kind of a very enjoyable experience for me. I didn't feel like there was a lot of pressure. I didn't feel like super anxious. Chris, on the other hand, he was, he was super anxious. Like, I don't know if there was a man in that building aside from all those players that wanted to win that game more than Chris Kerber, given everything he's done with this organization over the years. And he, I, I felt his anxiety and I tried to calm him down, pregame I tried to calm down uh, throughout that first period especially those first 10 minutes as the Blues were just getting chillacked but I uh, know to answer your question I, I was very relaxed it was almost that feeling where you knew this was the climax there was no more games after this and that's always a cool feeling if you think about it because it's either we're gonna win and we're gonna have a parade or we're gonna lose and it's gonna be over and we can just Stop playing the what if game because all throughout the playoffs, you're always like, well, maybe if we make it the second round or what if we made it to the third round or who knows if we win the cup. It's always that game back and forth of what could be, what couldn't be. In that moment, you knew it's one way or another, either, either we're going to win or we're going to lose and we can move on from there, either in a great direction or in a kind of somber direction. And uh, of course, uh, we all know the result and it was a very special summer.
3: That's how I know that you were a player, Joey, and not just a strictly a fan. Because fans would describe that feeling as torture. The fact that you said heading into Game Seven it's kind of a cool feeling to know it's going to end one way or the other. For a fan, that feeling is pure torture because you have no control over what's happening, and all your hopes and feelings and emotions are tied into this one game. It was awful. It was awful until they <laughs> won.
4: Well, you know, you're, but you're exactly right, Michelle. And then, you know, I think fans can never believe when they ask players like. What is it like before the game, right? And players like, oh, I just it felt like a normal game. Everyone thinks they're bsing. Everyone thinks, oh my god, you're just being politically correct. You're just saying whatever you ask. No, they're being they're being honest. They, it is just another game. And and truthfully, it is that feeling inside that you know we're going to go out there. We have a game plan. And we're going to try to execute the best we can. And the rest we're just going to leave up there. We're going to leave it up to the hockey gods as far as either it's going to go our way or it's not going to go our way tonight. And and of course, I mean, you saw it in that game. Uh, i'll never forget those first 10 minutes they did not look good and but it it is that feeling of hockey guys and i remember looking at chris and he was kind of shaking his head at that first tv timeout and he's like this doesn't look good and and i remember that feeling of that game and i've seen this before and i said kirps settle down we got this one And he looked at me like i had 10 heads he goes what are you talking about i go, i've seen this before i've seen this before that last save that clip Biddington's armpit like the jersey of his armpit on Marchand we all remember that from the power Mm -hmm. play early in that game I go I've seen this bounce happen before we're getting the bounces early we're going to be all right I'm looking at Kukarask on the other end who has faced like two shots I think in the first like 12 or 13 minutes that is a terrible place for a goalie to be it's a big game seven you want to feel shots you want to get in the game early you got to feel the puck you got to move it to your defenseman you got to get vocally involved in the game took Rask is on his own island down there. He's just waiting, waiting, waiting. He's not engaged. He's not getting into the game. And meanwhile, uh, the Blues are getting peppered, and Biddington's coming up with saves left and right. Any time that happens in a game, it's, it's a very bad thing for the team that is just pumping shots and can't get any benefit of it. And we saw that in the Blues game, and uh, exactly what happened. You know, you saw Ryan O'Reilly be on the board, and then that Petro go at the end of the first. To me, that was a nail in the coffin. I don't know if the Bruins really had any life after that.
2: Joey Vitale, always great to hear your voice. We should ask, by the way, about the new Phase 3 for training camp opening on July 10th. Just nice to have a date, isn't it, that we know that the teams are all going to be participating in training camp?
4: It's exactly right. You know, it's just another step in the right direction. I do think there's a lot of negotiations that need to happen with phase four. That's the most important phase. That could propose a lot of hiccups moving forward. So I think for the both sides to get together and to kind of iron out those details is going to be important. But you're right, Randy. Phase three, July 10th. If I'm a player, I've talked to some of these guys. Uh, they're excited. I know a lot of people are like, what are these players going to be like? These guys are super jacked up. They're going to camp. They're going to play pickup hockey for a couple weeks with each other, and then they're going to go right into Stanley Cup playoffs. Are you kidding me? And people are like, what about no fans? Is it legit? These players don't care about that. They have a chance to raise the cup. They have a chance to get their name on the cup. They have a chance to get a ring and have a parade and have a party with the cup. To me, that's these players' motivation. It is going to be some amazing hockey when they come back. Any any of those naysayers out there or doubters think it's going to be any legit, feisty, up-tempo, high-octane hockey? You're crazy. This is going to be some really good hockey when they come back. Joey V, have a great weekend. Enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you next week. Michelle, you guys, thank you so much for everything. Uh, Randy, you guys have a great weekend.
2: All right, brother. Thanks, Joey. Joey Vitale with us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. And don't forget, tonight we continue Play Gloria. I don't know if we conclude Play Gloria, but we do have a, a reprise of 2019 Stanley Cup Final Game 7 won by the St. Louis Blues.
3: You can't watch or listen to that game too much.
2: No. No. What a great weekend for St. Louis, because you've got that tonight. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow night on MLB Network, we've got uh, Game 6 between the Cardinals and the Rangers. And that's a pretty good one.
3: And then Sunday, we have Long Gone Summer.
2: So what a weekend of TV we've got coming up. But next up, we've got some competition for you. We've got the fight on 101 ESPN.
0: Think you can beat down character? We sure hope you can. The Fight with Character. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. On 101 ESPN.
3: to Kara Smallman here on 101 ESPN it's 8 35 in the morning on this Friday and it's time for the fight Colin what are we fighting for today
5: we are fighting for a gift card to Surf and Sirloin in De Pere, home of prime USDA hand-cut steaks and fresh seafood Surf and Sirloin is open now for indoor dining visit surfandsirloin.com to check out the menu
3: sounds delicious our fighter today is Mike Mike good morning how are you feeling today
2: Good morning. I'm doing good.
3: Awesome. You ready to compete against Randy in the fight? I am. All right, let's go. Question number one. Alex Petrangelo became captain of the St. Louis Blues after David Backus left the team in free agency in 2016. Who did Backus replace as captain in 2011? Was it Dallas Drake, Eric Brewer, or Barrett Jackman?
5: Um, Let's go with Eric Brewer. Question number two. Ryan Sandberg is one of the greatest players in Cubs history. Where did he spend one season of his career before being traded to Chicago? Was it with the Philadelphia Phillies, the Milwaukee Brewers, or the Boston Red Sox? All
3: right, Mike. Question number three. Richard Petty's 200 career victories is the most in NASCAR history. Who is second all-time in victories? Is it Dale Earnhardt, Bobby Allison, or David Pearson?
5: Uh, let's go with David Pearson. And question number four. Which Chicken Wings restaurant famously sponsors <laughs> legendary golfer John Daly? Is it Buffalo Wild Wings, Hooters, or Wingstop? Hooters.
3: Ooh, we have got a fight today. Mike, how are you feeling?
5: Uh feeling pretty good, actually. So, see how it goes.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, well, you should feel good. I can't reveal the results yet, but you should feel pretty good about that. <laughs> Let me tell you. All right. Randy is entering the studio. Here he comes. He's getting settled in here, giving the play-by-play. He's taking his mask off. (laughs) Randy, say hello to Mike, your challenger on this Friday.
2: Mike, how you doing? Good. How are you, Randy? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.
3: All right, Randy, question number one. Alex Petrangelo became captain of the St. Louis Blues after David Backus left the team in free agency in 2016. Who did Backus replace as the captain in 2011?
2: 2011. Um, I'm back. Oh, we actually, I think, talked about him yesterday. I think it was Eric Brewer after he got traded to Edmonton, or no, got traded to Tampa.
5: And question number two, Randy Ryan Sandberg is one of the greatest players in Cubs history. Where did he spend one season of his career before being traded to Chicago? philadelphia
3: randy richard petty's 200 career victories is the most in nascar history mm-hmm. who is second all time in victories
2: Ooh, this is a good one um i'll do the old lifeline here
3: is adele earnhardt bobby allison or david pearson
2: i'm gonna go earnhardt allison or pearson Uh, Earnhardt, it's definitely not.
5: I I think I'm going to go with David Pearson. Question number four, Randy. Which Chicken Wings restaurant famously sponsors legendary golfer John Daly? Uh, That would have to be the old Hooters bag, right?
3: (laughs) We've got a winner. The
0: winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener.
3: Mike and Randy both got all four correct, so the victory goes to Mike. Congratulations, Mike. You beat Randy today. So let's run through the answers here. David Backus replaced Eric Brewer as the Blues captain in 2011. Ryan Sandberg spent one season of his career with the Phillies. He played 13 games for Philly in 1981. Second all-time in NASCAR victories is David Pearson with 105 career wins. And Hooters sponsored... John Daly. Legendary. We all knew that one. Yeah. Mike, congratulations. Thanks for playing.
2: Thank you. And we'll talk to you on Monday. Sounds good. Yeah. John Daly at the PGA here in 1993 had a really good time. You talk about legendary. (laughs) Man. He knew how to party.
3: Even if you know... Even just a little bit about John Daly, and you were listed, you got the list of those three chicken wings places. You're obviously picking Hooters, right?
2: Yeah, what were the three?
3: <laughs> it was Buffalo Wild Wings, Hooters, and Wing Stop.
2: Yeah, it's got to be
3: both. It's got to
2: be Hooters. Uh, doubt. No, no doubt about it. Our friend Adam Wainwright and his Big League Impact Foundation have teamed up with Crisis Aid International and Cardinals Care to give back to the community with a drive-up grocery giveaway tomorrow. It'll help people affected by COVID-19. It's tomorrow from 10 to 1 at 5427 Telegraph Road. 5427 Telegraph Road. If you wish to donate shelf-stable food items, drop the items off at the Crisis Aid office at 5427 Telegraph Road on June 11th and 12th. And that would be today. And then tomorrow, uh, the 13th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And you can pick up a box of groceries for you and your family, regardless of your current circumstances, if you want to receive. So we want to help people that are dealing with COVID-19 and shortages of food. And we want to help p- feed people in the St. Louis area. You can learn more at bigleagueimpact.org or just go to CrisisAid. Uh, You can email them at info at crisisaid.org. But helping out people in St. Louis, Adam Wainwright, always doing great work. And thanks to Big League Impact and Waino.
3: Thank you to them. They are such great ambassadors for our community. They really are.
2: Next up, we had an opportunity to talk to former Cardinal Slugger Mark McGuire. He'll be in the spotlight on Sunday night for Long Gone Summer. And some of our takeaways from the McGuire interview are next on 101 ESPN. That game was nine eight ninety eight. It was in the middle of the week, and I think it was a Tuesday night. And Fox brought their entire national TV broadcast in and put a game on primetime TV <laughs> because McGuire had a chance to set the all-time record.
3: As you should, it captivated yeah. the, the country. You know, as we talked about with Dan McLaughlin in the crossover yesterday, there was media from all over the world here to cover this.
2: And it's amazing to go back and we'll see the finished product on. Uh, Sunday night, but Michelle and I both had a chance to watch a rough cut of the documentary, and you've got a 28-year-old Joe Buck interviewing Maguire and Sosa before the game. Incredible. Yeah. And we had a chance to talk to Mark yesterday, and there was so much that went into that season. And obviously, part of the fallout was the fact that he ultimately admitted to using performance enhancers. And there are people that think that because he used performance enhancers, that the ball didn't go over the fence and that the, the race wasn't as exciting and as legitimate as it should have been. So that's one of the things we asked him was his reaction when people say that summer wasn't legit.
6: Yeah. Well, yeah. Come and walk in my shoes and tell me it's not legit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. It's just, um, uh, I mean, it's, it I it's, almost it's, I'm, I'm almost like speechless even to comment on that. It's, uh, it's, we talked about it before. It's like people are going to make comments like that. They're always going to have these naysayers. They're going to say things. You know, to hit a baseball is the toughest thing to do in sport alone. Yeah. To try to break a record like that, to set yourself apart from each, anybody in the history of the game as far as a single season home run record to where your mind can go. It's like, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty legit. Yeah, things have happened since then. Yes. Okay. I've, I've talked about that but to understand that where you can go with your mind and you have to hit a baseball, nothing can do that other than you, yourself, and your eyes and your mind.
2: Uh, Two things, Michelle, before I let you take the floor. Number one, his mental focus was probably beyond any other hitter that I've ever seen. It was incredible the way that he would zero in on a game or a particular at bat or a pitch. He really compartmentalized well there. And as he said, and I'll put it a different way. He, he said, you still have to hit the baseball. Mm-hmm. And I believe that he was playing on a level playing field. I believe that most of the players, the vast majority of the players, were using performance enhancers. So the other hitters, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds included, and most of the pitchers that he were going was going against, They were using performance enhancers, too, which leveled the playing field for everybody. And he happened to be the best guy of all those people that were using performance enhancers.
3: Absolutely. And while the power may have been impacted a little bit, to your point, he still has to... No, have his swing, swing refined. He has to know what the pitches are and know how, how to make contact. He has to be mentally locked in. And just because you have the strength to hit a home run doesn't mean that you can do it. And you talk about the mental aspect of this in the interview. I asked him how he was able to deal with the pressure and you talked about meditating before the games and all of this you just because you can physically do something doesn't mean you can mentally get it done because there's so many outside factors that were involved with this so i even though there were enhancers involved i still agree with mark that you can't take away the fact that he was able to do this
2: and i thought you asked the the most interesting question of all and that was did he need Sammy Sosa to set that record and to to get to seventy.
6: I'll tell you what I'm. I'm really glad he he really was there because to be pushed like that and to, to set yourself into another position and and yeah, uh, in your mind and really just really checking yourself every night and just saying to yourself this is I'm not allowing this to happen. It sets you apart. It's funny because Tony, I was telling Tony the last weekend against Montreal, I, I was like. Tony I'm done man I'm, I'm I'm done he's like mark we gotta push it man and uh there we go you know I, and I remember being on that field on uh, was it yeah, Friday night and and I remember the fans hearing the hearing the fans go oh and he's in, you know he's in, he's, in, he's in Houston he hit the home run and he he went ahead and I was like wow and I think it was like an inning later you know I tied him um and then I ended up hitting two on Saturday and two on Sunday. It was really amazing to come on top, just to do it period,
3: so many things there. But one thing I want to pull out of that cut from McGuire is how about the fact that he said, I'm so tired and that Tony LaRusa had to push him to say, no, we got to keep you in the lineup. I know you're really tired. But Tony had the big picture in front of him saying, you're going to regret it, essentially, if, if you don't go out there and give it your all and you're not in the lineup every night.
2: And that was we use the term grind. That was a six month mental grind for him. I can totally see how he could have just been mentally fried going into that weekend and he obviously needed it and because sammy got to 66 but if on sunday he doesn't he starts sunday with 68 and sammy's at 66 he very easily could have hit two and tied it at 68 so mcguire tony's right he needed to play to get the record
3: And good thing that uh, Tony was able to talk to him and get him in there so that he he could get it done.
2: And he hit two. And when he hit number 70, and I've told this story before, and Dan mentioned that he was working on the field at the Rams game. He was the sideline guy for Fox that day. And when McGuire hit number 70, the roar of the crowd was so loud. The Rams had the ball. Tony Banks was their quarterback. And they were playing the Arizona Cardinals. Tony had to call timeout because it was like the Rams were on the road. And the, the offense couldn't hear.
3: So they had it in the in the dome. People, the people saw were, that it happen. People were
2: all listening on the radios.
3: Oh, my gosh. That's, that is incredible.
2: Yeah. It was an amazing day. And then it, it, the ball goes over the fence, and the 66,000 explode at the Edward Jones Dome. It Sports was town, right? phenomenal. Yeah, town. It, it really is. One of the other things that I wanted to hear from McGuire was... How exciting it was for him to see all of this and, and relive 1998.
6: It brings back a lot of great memories. Of course, I mean it's just uh, and in light what's going on with the, the baseball world right now, trying to work things out and you know for uh, what happened that year to, to bring the fans back after the '94 strike, um, just to electrify St. Louis and in the baseball world, it was. Uh, I got a chance to see the rough cut of it. Um, just before the pandemic, um, AJ, uh, showed me it and, um, it was really, it was emotional. Um, I'm sure he's, uh, he's crossed a few more T's and dotted a few more I's to, uh, finish up the project, but, um, it was, it, it was really cool. You know, it's been, it's not like I sit and look at videos and do, uh, read articles about that, you know, 20 some odd years ago. And so I found myself, uh getting caught up in the moment
2: it's so cool to hear him be happy and that's (laughs) when we were doing the interview yesterday that was the prevailing thought among people that texted in was you can hear the smile in his voice and it's good to hear that he's happy in California
3: absolutely and it has to be such an interesting feeling for him because he was in the eye of the storm he was the one that lived it he was the one that was able to do this and bring so many people joy so for him to watch the rough cut of this and to hear all of these people whether it's his former teammates or his manager or broadcasters or fans whomever is interviewed talking about their experiences And the fact that watching him do this, watching he and Sammy in this home run chase brought them joy. It has to be a very emotional thing for him to sit there and watch the the fact that what he was able to do impacted so many people in a positive way.
2: We get a text from the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Same as Lance, people. Everyone was doping. Yet you praise Big Mac. But Lance is a cheater. Come on. I think the one thing that we know is that the cycling industry and the people that were in cycling, they had rules that you could not use performance enhancers at that time. Baseball didn't have that rule in place. That's the distinction that I would draw. By the way, the same texture says, but you don't read anything that disagrees with you. The distinction that I would draw is that baseball didn't have a collectively bargained rule against performance enhancers when mcguire was using them in 1998 they didn't until 2004 in racing when lance armstrong was winning his 7 in a row there were rules that he could get suspended or removed from the sport from the time he started doping there mm-hmm. were rules in place and there were guys that did get suspended and he had a lot of power in the industry and by the way i don't think we uh, we took shots at lance armstrong for uh, not for cheating as much or playing on a level playing field, but just being such a jerk.
3: Totally. And I take more offense to the organizations that benefited from them cheating, and then wanted to admonish them when it was convenient for them. Look at Major League Baseball; they certainly rode the the coattails of McGuire and Sosa during that home run chase to bring baseball back and help them make money and have their sport in the in the mind's eye of everyone in America. And then, when it was not convenient for them, we didn't know. Let, we are going to punish these guys; it's their fault. But hey. Now that everybody's back on the baseball train, thanks for your contributions. Same thing with cycling. Lance Armstrong made cycling popular in America. We talked about the Tour de Lance. We were all wearing the Livestrong bracelets. And cycling recognized what an amazing story it was to have this man who was an American and defeated cancer come out and win all of of these cycling awards. The Tour de France all those times. And they benefited from it and then wanted to admonish him when it was convenient for them.
2: There actually is a legal term, and I just Googled it.
3: Oh, wow. Okay,
2: It's ex post facto is a law that retroactively changes the legal consequences of actions that were committed or relationships that existed before the enactment of the law. Ex post facto law. And that's essentially by keeping McGuire out of the Hall of Fame and saying that he cheated is what they're doing is they they enacted laws after three years after he was done playing and he's getting punished for. Those laws that weren't enacted yet,
3: which seems unfair.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that hundred percent. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and again, um, number one, thanks to the Cardinals for helping us out in connecting with Mark. And he wants to be involved with Cardinal alumni. He's got three triplet, ten year old daughters, so there's a lot of, and two teenage sons that are good baseball players. So he's busy with his kids in California, but he's really a proud former Cardinal. And coming up next here on 101 ESPN, on this one-year anniversary of the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, David Perron is going to join us. 2019 Stanley Cup champ David Perron is next on 101 ESPN.
0: That was the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.